Joined for this segment by Stephanie Cover, the only personal injury attorney I will ever recommend. Uh, Stephanie with an F, Cover is in cover, 877-214-4935, or better yet, just go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law, and you can sign up. Just find out more information about Stephanie, because you never know when you're going to need a personal injury attorney, but when you do, boy, do you need a personal injury attorney. Stephanie Cover, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me today, Roger. You know, one of the things I appreciate, and I've learned so much from you and your husband, Jim, about uh, legal expertise over the past many years. But, you know, Jim's a contract law guy, but you and I talk here on the Bottom Line Show about personal injury law. And, you know, one thing that I never realized, I'll be honest with you, personal injury attorneys to me, prior to me meeting you, was I'd see the billboard, I'd see the ad on television, I'd see the guy saying, hey, I was in a car wreck and I got a ton of money and and, you know, I, I don't want to oversimplify this, Stephanie, but they made it sound so easy. You know, I mean, it's, it's like like for some reason, oh, all you have to do, you got an accident, call an attorney and blah, blah, blah. And that's it. And I you and I both know how difficult it is to practice personal injury law. You've been doing this longer than anybody I've ever met. Help us understand why you need a personal injury attorney, because of the fact that, quite frankly, there are way more places where you could potentially get tripped up in a personal injury case if you don't have the right legal representation than in any other aspect of law. That's true. And, and uh, part of it is, as I believe people look at those ads and they say, well, geez, if I, I could get all that, they can get all that money. If I get a portion of that, I'll be doing fine. Mm-hmm. But it's really not what the reality is. Personal injury is a very large area of law. It's very litigious. And what, it, what I mean by that is one of the most areas that uh, goes to litigation. And mm-hmm. part of the reason for that, a great part of that, is that people will try to handle things on their own without having an understanding as to what the law is, what they need to prove, mm-hmm. what they need to say and not say. And they 100% of the time create a big hole for themselves, which will either cause them more work um, and with the same facts, it can cause them to have a lot less money than with an attorney because they uh, don't state things clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you an example. Yeah, yeah. There was, there, were, there was a lady who was involved in a motor vehicle accident she gave her statement to her insurance company, and I always advise against it, especially if it's disputed liability and you're going to hire an attorney. But she gave her statement to her insurance company, which you think, okay, I'm going to try to cooperate. Right. But her insurance company gave it to the other insurance company. Oh, no. And in her statement, she wasn't as clear on the day as she was on the date of the accident. and. Uh, she hired me. I didn't under, didn't know that went on. I went ahead and called the opposing attorney, uh, uh, excuse me, opposing insurance company, saying no one's contacted me. And they go, well, why should we? Her statement, we analyzed and said she was at fault. And I go, well, I have a San Diego police report here that says your insured is at fault, not my client. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, now maybe we're going to relook at this or maybe not. But if you have a police report 
and you tell people, you tell the police at the time of the accident what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Based on their experience, education, and training, they can see the location of the vehicles, the location of the damage, if there's any debris, if there's any witnesses. They will help you find the truth at the accident scene. Interesting. And anything that you say subsequent to that, especially to a third party, seems to lose um, facts. Mm-hmm. And when you lose mm-hmm. facts, um, things can go sideways for you, which is what happens most of the time. Stephanie Cover is with me today here on The Bottom Line. She's the only personal injury attorney I've ever recommended here on the program. Stephanie with an F, Cover as in cover, 877-214-4935 is how you contact her. Make sure you have her name and number in your contacts because, Stephanie, as you were just describing that scene, my first thought was, well, of course the other insurance companies have the police report, right? And yet the idea that your client was saying, okay, I've already given my statement to my insurance company didn't know they gave it to the other insurance company and the other insurance company is now trying to go ahead and settle the claim just based on that without even looking and considering the police report. It really has gotten to the point, hasn't it, where we, the people, need to have legal representation to make sure all of those boxes are checked off because as you came in and asked a simple question and the opposing insurance company, oh, oh yeah, I guess we didn't look at that. I wonder how many people are getting claims and realizing that in a case where, in this case, this woman clearly was not at fault, but they were going to process it like she was, simply based on what she said. That I'm shocked. I mean, I'm, I'm horrified to hear something like that happening. But you're probably running into a lot of that these days, aren't you, that type of situation in cases? Yes. And, and when I make reference to the police report, they go, oh, yeah, 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 I think we've got it here. So they mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. They know, they know and they just, they're and not going to act on it. Yeah, it's not, let's be honest, it's let's not pay a penny. Right. And the right. thing of it is, they're not looking for truth. And that's the problem. Mm. Well, how do we get to the truth then? Because we, unfortunately, I say this about conservative Christians in the voting booth. We look at the world around us and we assume that everybody wants what's best for everybody else and that there would never be any laws passed that would make your life horrible. And yet when you do a little due diligence, you find out that is in fact the case. But then there's the cases that we're talking about here where, you know, in a personal injury case like this, you really have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And that wise as serpents part means you've contacted a good personal injury attorney who says, I assume that they're going to try to come after you for everything that they can get out of it. Uh, As I've quoted you often, Stephanie, there's never been an insurance company in the history of the insurance company that's overpaid a claim. I mean, that they, they, they're holding on to their money for their shareholders. They're just not doing that. So what? talk about the importance then of people who say, okay, I got into an accident. The first line of thought we have to get away from, get them away from is, oh, well, at least I have good insurance. They're going to handle everything. This is not to say the insurance companies are bad people. They just are looking out for their best interest before your own. Help us understand why we need personal injury attorneys when we get into personal injury cases. Well, your insurance company isn't the one paying the claims. It's the other party. Mm. Um, when you get in a volatile auto accident, there's there's one set of jury rules for that. Mm-hmm. You're in a situation where there's a dog bite. There's another set of jury rules for that. Mm-hmm. Slip and falls, another set. Com- common carriers, another set. Products liability, another set. So there's so many areas and aspects of law people aren't even, they don't even realize. 
people like me are uh, on Orange County Trial Lawyers Association. I'm an American Board of Trial Advocates. I'm on a couple of brain trusts for the Consumer Attorneys of California, meaning everybody discuss different issues and shares idea. I, I have experts contacting me and everybody gets an idea of who, what expert is good at what, because if you look at it, it's not just a doctor. Um, it could be a pediatrician. It could be an anesthesiologist. I have cases mm -hmm. with engineers on it, uh, different types of engineers, depending upon what the product is. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of information. And there's some areas of law uh, which hasn't fully developed yet where it's just case law now and you have to know the cases to know what you have to prove in order to make that party responsible. Mm. So, so it's just more than anyone really imagines. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, I love our conversations every time we get together each month, Stephanie, because I learn so much, but I also come away somewhat exhausted over the fact that I realized that, <laughs> that, that the weight of the law really is so staggering. We are a very litigious society. People are seem like they're in a big hurry to go to court. And I would admit that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in the body of Christ are a little hesitant because we read scripture and we don't read it properly, where the scripture says, don't be in a hurry to take your brother or sister in Christ before an unjust judge, because they're going to look at your case and say, well, this is silly and this is ridiculous. But if you do get involved in a personal injury case, obviously you're working hard to make sure that the case doesn't go to trial if you don't have to, but you have to be prepared. Exactly. For, but you have to be prepared for the fact that the other side is going to ask questions and they're doing everything they can to vigorously defend their position too. So it really is just a question of who's got the best legal strategy. Um, help our, our, the listeners here at the bottom line show up and hearing you talk about this for years and years, but I sit the sense, I hear a, a certain urgency in your voice that over the past couple of years in particular, it's gotten a lot worse in terms of there are more laws that have been passed and there are more people that you're hearing from that are saying, well, I tried to fight this on my own, but now I guess I need help. The first call really needs to be to you, doesn't it? Yes. And a hundred percent of the time, the the case, they, they messed it up, not because they weren't injured. Um, it's because they didn't handle certain aspects right, or they communicated information which isn't relevant to their lawsuit, which is nobody's business. Um, sometimes people even talk about their family members, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you don't do that. Your family member is not a, a party to this a lawsuit or a claim that we have here. Mm -hmm. People, sometimes people get nervous. I see sometimes people who haven't worked a long time um, want people to be their friends because sometimes they're alone and they try to talk to be friendly with them. And the other side will just eat you up. Mm. They, they really don't care about making a friend at a deposition. They mm -hmm. just want to get the information and go forward. But when people start talking about extraneous things, um, they're really making it harder on them because they may say something um, because they, they, they're a good person and they have nothing to hide. But the fact mm -hmm. remains that there's some information that is not related to a, a lawsuit and you have your privacy on that. Mm -hmm. And that's really no one's business, but they open the door when they speak and say things. Mm 
that aren't related. Mm. And they cause a lot of problems, hardship. And then the other side doesn't want to pay them as much because they think that there's other information out there because they start to say something and they think, oh, wow, there's got to be more out there. And there's really not. Well, and thank you, Stephanie, for your partnership and friendship. And thanks for being part of our Super Tuesday today here on the Bottom Line Show uh, with that endorsement of Eric Ching, uh, the former mayor of Walnut, California, who is running for Congress in the 38th District. And uh, we'll have a few more stats on him on the other side of this break. Remember, Stephanie is a, uh, Stephanie with an F and uh, Cover as in Cover, 877-214-4935. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law. Some final thoughts on this Super Tuesday in just a moment as the Bottom Line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. And I said, well, 4D money is a fun thing. It's exactly the opposite of what you have now with your one-dimensional account with Ameritrade. You've been watching that thing drop like a rock since the first of the year. You're probably fed up with it. I said, this account, number one, the money never goes down. Number two, it has inflation benefits. Number three, it has long-term care benefits. Number four, it has permanent income benefits. And so when you put all these things on the same page and show it to a client, it sounds too good to be true. And that was his comment to me. I said, well, you know me a long time. You know it's true. I don't make stuff up. So he met with Tess, and we moved his Ameritrade account in a matter of 30 minutes. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you're wondering why here on the last Tuesday of July, we're having to talk about the elections and what we call it Super Tuesday, of course, to uh, kind of set the stage for the election process. Well, the, the prime... I, I believe all of the primaries have finally happened. There were some southern states that uh, were still going on. Uh, there's going to be a vote in Kansas coming up on uh, this coming Tuesday. I don't know if that's their primary or if that's just a special election regarding uh, now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Are they going to have you know certain ballot measures? And so I'm uh, in doing my due diligence, starting with Proposition 1, to take a look at everything that's going to be on the ballot. All the candidates are, are going to be on the ballot. And during my conversation with Stephanie Covert just now, she mentioned that one of her former clients, uh, someone who she was able to help during a very rough time in a wrongful death situation, um, is now uh, has made the cut and will be running for Congress here in the People's Republic of California in the state of California's 38th congressional district. The districts have been redrawn. California lost one of our members in the House, so we're down from 53 to 52. But there were six uh, candidates in the 38th congressional district. Uh, that's Walnut, California, and they're around. And former Walnut City Councilman and former mayor of Walnut, Eric Ching, uh, has uh, it, it's California runs open primaries. There were six candidates on the ballot originally, and the top two were going to go regardless if it were uh, two Democrats, two Republicans, or whatever. Um, three of the candidates either withdrew or wound up being disqualified, so it became a three-candidate race. And Linda Sanchez, Democrat, uh, wound up winning. 57% of the vote, so she uh, gets the top spot. Eric Ching took second place and uh, with 31% of the vote, defeating John Sarega. And so now Eric Ching's name will be on the ballot on November 8th. 
And of course, we know early voting is going to start a month before that. And so here we are knocking on the door of August. There's really about 60 days left to start doing your due diligence and and getting some good counsel. So uh, you could do worse than voting for uh, Eric Ching in the 38th district if that is your district. And I encourage you to we'll, we'll put a link for his candidacy up at the bottom line show dot com. As it stands right now, the dem, the uh, district does lean a little more blue than red. Uh, Fifty seven percent of the votes cast were cast for a Democrat candidate and uh, the other 43 percent were cast for Republicans. But this is the case where now if the Democrat Party members are dissatisfied in some way, shape or form, and this is where the independents will show up too. remember, 48 percent of California registered voters as of the last voting census in 2020, 48 percent registered Democrat, 24 percent registered Republican, 24 percent no party preference. So if you find yourself in the no party preference candidacy world, I encourage you to take a look at the two major parties. I mean, there are smaller parties, too. But now we're at the point in the general election where the two smaller parties really cancel each other out or more than two. And it's just kind of it becomes Republican versus Democrat until a third party can come to light. Now is the chance to vote for your values. And that's what I encourage you. Vote values, uh, vote principles and policies instead of personalities and politics, and you will never be disappointed. And uh, uh, Eric Ching's uh, faith is all over his website. And we've got that linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, some election reform news coming out of Washington, D.C. And a straw poll at the Turning Point Convention last week gives an indication as to who conservatives want to run for president. The return of Donald Trump, is it near? And what do you think about it? We'll talk about it next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome yet again to another Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, uh, the next hour for sure. Uh, But definitely as we think about what is going on in the world of politics and how we can avoid having some of the confusion that we uh, were experiencing on January the 6th and November the 3rd, and you, you remember those dates. The January 6th commission has been meeting for, I don't know, what, past couple of months now, and there was a committee that met before them. Understanding, of course, that what you're seeing in the primetime nationally televised discussions, as it were, is not an actual courtroom setting, per se. These are congressional hearings. Uh, there is a, uh, the illusion is given that members of the House of Representatives are actually giving kind of an equal, bipartisan, balanced approach. That's not true. This is Democrat-led. And again, I'm not saying there's no animus here. If you look at the members of the political parties that are represented, there are uh, the majority of the members of the committee are Democrats. The two Republicans who are on the committee are Liz Cheney uh, from Wyoming, who is an anti-Trump Republican who may wind up losing her congressional seat this fall as a result of her stance. And then as Adam Kissinger, whatever his name is, from uh, a freshman senator from Illinois, I believe, who was also voted to impeach Donald Trump, anti-Trump Republican. So everyone on the committee wants to see Donald Trump pay a penalty for what he did to incite a riot that put America at risk, et cetera, et cetera. Our democracy was gone. Um, The beauty of the American system is that we can withstand what happened on January the 6th and our democracy and our constitutional republic does not fall apart. What happened on January 6th is very interesting if you only look at it from one perspective. One of the reasons I'm intrigued with the January 6th hearings, if for no other reason, 
is the fact that they are so one-sided. And now it's gotten to the point where the left really doesn't care that you can see how they want to skew things. You've, we've all played games with young children before, right? I mean, um, grandson was over this weekend. Um, his birthday is coming up, uh, oh my goodness, a week from tomorrow. And, uh, but he and his parents are moving to Texas. So uh, Emily came out, Brian's already there, uh, getting themselves all moved in. And so uh, uh, Em and Isaac came out along with uh, Uncle Jake, my son Jacob. And uh, Lisa and I were hanging out with them and entertaining them. And we were, uh, Isaac loves to play hide and seek. Our home's a bit bigger than the apartments that he's grown up in. <laughs> and so he likes to play hide and seek at Grandpa and Lisa's house because we get a lot of places to run. And so he's running all over the house and um, just having a great time being five years old and, you know, having a wonderful deal. He likes the big pillows that we have on our bed and, you know, we like to hide behind them and other places too. And I try to hide in the most ridiculous places. Like we've got a three foot plant in one of our rooms and I'll stand behind that and hope it covers me. Anyway, we're playing hide and seek and it's my turn to count and he goes out and he hides and then I catch him and find him where he is. And then he looks at me and he smiles. And he goes, okay, it's your turn to count. And I said, well, Isaac, I just counted. And he says, yeah, but it's your turn to count. I said, no, the way we play the game is, you know, you count, I hide, you find me, then I count, you hide, I find you. And he looked at me and smiled, he goes, I know. And then he kind of winks at me, he goes, but it's your turn to count. Kind of like, I like the game better when I'm always hiding and you're always looking for me. And I realized, you know, it's it's cute with your five-year-old grandson, right? You know, kids are learning what rules they can bend, you know, which lines in the sand are, you know, drawn with their toe and which are painted in there and which have electric shocks and stakes, you know, coming out of them. But it got me thinking as I think about the January 6th commission, because no one has ever bothered to present anything to defend the Trump administration. It's all to accuse. There's no cross-examination whatsoever. All the only video you're seeing is condemning. There's Josh Hawley running out of the oh, it's terrible. And there's nothing that might actually corroborate some of the, hey, maybe the president didn't do this. Maybe he wasn't behind the scenes pulling the strings. They're so concerned about a Donald Trump conspiracy. Pay no attention to the Russian collusion hoax that was invented by Hillary Clinton's campaign. And we now have, uh, we have testimony under oath that it was the Steele dossier and the Durham report. The Durham report did not wind up in anyone going to prison. But enough basically damning evidence came out that the Donald Trump was colluding with Russia to steal the election from Hillary Clinton is a false narrative. And I know I'm going to get email. You're supporting Donald Trump again. He's reprehensible, blah, blah, blah. Please know that I did vote for Donald Trump in 2016 and in 2020. And if he runs in 2024, I will not be voting for Donald Trump. Time for Donald Trump to retire, go do something else, start another reality TV show, whatever. I wouldn't have been very welcome at Turning Point USA over the weekend, but that's for a later discussion. Anyway, back to this, uh, uh, the, the January 6th hearings. There are a good number of Americans right now who are literally on the edge of their seats saying, oh, I hope we find him guilty because our democracy was at risk. Because, you know, there were some people who did break into the Capitol building, apparently. There was some, there's some video of some of the police letting them in. I mean, are we ever going to know the whole story? Well, doggone it, we'll be confounded if Nancy Pelosi ever gives up any of the video that the Republicans have asked for. 
or any of the email exchanges that they've asked for in that regard, or if, uh, you know, why was it the National Guard was alerted that something like this might happen, but were told to stand down, and even there weren't enough capital officers on hand when this all happened. You know, you, you've seen people who wound up having stress-related incidents, even some folks who've taken their own lives because either they were on the, another uh, defendant in the January 6th case wound up taking his own life before having to go get sentenced and maybe spend a month in jail for the role that they played in this. You know, there are a lot of people who are looking around saying, boy, they let the Black Lives Matter activists go ahead and you know, bomb Portland for the three months in a row. And the Chaz thing in Seattle with all the violence that happened there. And Andy No reporting about uh, the, the, the different Molotov cocktails he used to use that didn't involve fire, but involved quick drying cement in like Starbucks cups that got pelting they were pelting police officers and people they didn't like none of those people went to jail but a couple of MAGA people who were like hey we think the election was stolen they show up at the Capitol and there's two million people there people I knew people I had on the air here that day who said we didn't see any of this was it really a huge threat or were are our members of the House and the Senate so isolated that it never occurred to them that anybody would ever break into the Capitol building and what were they doing they were posing for pictures they were I mean there were no firebombs set off. I mean, sure, prose- prosecute them for these misdemeanor trespassing things, but was this an act of sedition? I mean, is Donald Trump living rent-free in the head of so many people in America that if we don't convict him on this, we already tried to impeach him, and, the, and he's got this cabal working behind the scenes to, to, to keep him from going to prison? Or maybe you impeached him on seemingly impeachable offenses, but when you looked at the actual evidence, there wasn't enough evidence to impeach him. How about that one? Well, in the middle of all the January 6th attacks, one of the big issues that came up was whether or not Mike Pence, as the vice president at the time on January 6th, 2021, could have any sort of way of stopping the election results from being certified. The election results are compiled on Election Day and in the days leading up, depending on how the states uh, collect the votes. There was all sorts of confusion with regard to the mail-in and what day you had to have your mail-in ballots in and what drop boxes were acceptable and which ones weren't. You notice that every drop box that was set up by Democrat operatives was a way to you know, bridge the gap and make it possible for people to vote. And then a guy like Jack Hibbs at uh, uh, Calvary Chino Hills here on uh, Real Radio, uh, Real Life with Jack Hibbs, airs after the bottom line here in Southern California. They were collecting ballots and, oh, you're ballot harvesting and that's illegal. You know, we don't like it when you do it, Pastor Jack Hibbs, but we sure love it when they do it at the Gay and Lesbian Outreach Center. There was a lot of confusion. How are the Electoral College votes counted? How were the the, the votes that were cast through uh, absenteeism, especially in light of the fact that many states have constitutions, including Delaware, hello, the home state of our current president of the United States, who you, you can't just change the law at the election commission. You can't just change the voting law at the state Supreme Court. If you're going to change the way people can vote, whether it's absentee or whatever, and all those parameters, it has to be done in an actual election, and it's an amendment to your state's constitution. Delaware's had a problem with this. Wisconsin just had a problem with theirs. Pennsylvania, Arizona, a lot of the states that were contestable did have issues with the fact that their state's constitutions were violated either by their state Supreme Court, their Secretary of State, the Registrar of Voters, their Election Commission, whatever it was. So there was a certain measure of truth to what the Trump campaign was saying in terms of, hey, we think the election was stolen. Well, I like Molly Hemingway at the Federalist uh, terminology better. She said it wasn't stolen, it was rigged. 
over a four-year period, and the Trump legal team was ill-prepared. Nobody was. Jay Sekula wasn't ready to handle all these cases. And they started filing all these lawsuits, you'll remember. And next thing you know, all the cases are being thrown out. And people said, see, you didn't have a leg to stand on. Well, actually, they, their legal team just didn't have standing to file the suit. Because I don't know, maybe it's been a few years since Rudy Giuliani actually tried a case in court. And Jenna Ellis showed up on all the news stories, but she wasn't licensed and signed on to any of these cases. You got to move quickly, and they didn't have enough time to make it happen. But one of the big issues was, can you, in fact, certify the Electoral College votes? And the president cited often an act called the Electoral Count Act. It was a bill that was passed back in covered wagon days to literally gave the president's legal team, they thought, the opportunity to say, hey, wait a minute. When it comes to the electorate here, you're going to have a popular vote here that's going to determine the electoral college vote in your state, and then you're going to send a delegation to Washington, D.C., and they're going to say, okay, we have 20 electoral votes, and because the majority of the people voted for the Democrat candidate, we are casting all 20 of our electoral votes to support Joe Biden for president or the other way around with Donald Trump. And in these contest- contested states, the question was, would the state's electorates and the electoral college voters actually show up and say, you know what, we don't think that the delegation is right. You're going to hear from a bunch of Democrats, but it was kind of a funky uh, situation, and we think we have more Republican votes. So therefore, DQ, disqualify those people, and let's do a recount or let's do something else. That's what the Trump administration was pushing for with Vice President Mike Pence. And Mike Pence said, I can't do that. And it turned out Mike Pence was right because the Electoral College people had a certain window of time with which they had to take those actions and they didn't do it. So since they didn't do it, there's nothing Mike Pence could do. He couldn't go in there and say, I personally am challenging this. If I hear from these state electorates, and their electoral college crowd saying, okay, we think there's a problem here, then I can do it. You got to tap me in here, guys. And the vice president didn't get that information. Well, now there's a committee of bipartisan nature, Republicans and Democrats alike, who have taken to overhauling the Electoral Count Act of 1887. You heard right. That's how long that bill's been in play because no one's ever challenged it. And they've made a couple of adjustments to it that they think are actually going to go to full Congress and see if that would prevent something like January 6th, 2021. Remember, happening again. We'll talk about what that entails coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law has a reputation for excellence, not just among previous clients, but also among colleagues. I'm an attorney. I've had clients that have issues in the area that Stephanie works in, and she's my first referral source. First of all, the area that she works in is an area where it's not that easy to find attorneys that I feel comfortable with. I think she has a lot of empathy, which helps because sometimes we attorneys don't have as much as we should have. She's extremely detail-oriented. She's very conscientious and just does a really kind of exceptional, almost overboard job in in preparing cases. I've never had anybody come back with any negative comments. Everybody's been very happy with, you know, her professionalism and the way that she approaches cases. Choose the personal injury attorney with personal integrity. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law, 877-214-4935. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh here on this Super Tuesday 
The Electoral Count Act of 1887 looks like it might be uh, walking the plank here. And a bipartisan group of senators think that that's actually a good thing. The proposal still needs to be approved by both the House and the Senate. They'll need 60 votes in the Senate to break any filibuster attempt. That means that about 10 Republicans would have to support the legislation and that it remains to be seen if there are 10 on the books who would do it. What gave me, uh, basically they're going to split it up into two different bills. What gave me a bit of encouragement is the fact that the two leading sponsors of this bill are Susan Collins of Maine, who is a moderate Republican who more often than not goes left than right, but uh, did do well, I think, in the Kavanaugh hearings and other areas. And then Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the former governor of that state, who is a pro-life Democrat, maybe the only, he's in the Senate to remind the Democrats, hey, 35% of registered Democrats are pro-life. So don't forget that, okay? Just don't forget it. Um, one of the bills is focused on modernizing the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Uh, basically, it, uh, it, as part of that proposal, senators are attempting to clarify that the vice president's role in overseeing the certification of electoral results would become ceremonial. It wouldn't actually have it basically take some teeth out. Um, it also includes key provisions intended to promote an orderly transition of presidential power. Uh, it talks about when you can receive federal resources, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the whole thing about whether or not the president concedes the election or or not. That was seemed it used to be seen as largely ceremonial. Now it's actually going to be written into law that if the uh, uh, when it comes to uh, whether or not a candidate is ener- eligible to win the election, if neither candidate secedes or uh, concedes the election within five days, then then that's when all this stuff kicks in. It's interesting because the second bill then would improve election security. And it's funny because this one would enhance federal penalties for anybody who threatens or intimidates election officials, as well as it would increase penalties for tampering with election records. Now, this one's uh, co-sponsored by five Republicans and seven Democrats. And it remains to be seen, largely this is, oh, this is Donald Trump telling Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, uh, you better find me votes or else. You know what I mean? A lot of what is reported in the media isn't what actually happened. And it's funny because uh, it's, it, 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 the bill would make it harder to overturn an election when a joint session of Congress convenes to certify the presidential election. In other words, we don't want people showing up at Capitol Hill on the first Wednesday after the election in January and saying, you know, we want to storm the castle again. Um, and then there's the whole legitimate versus illegitimate and he who controls the word controls the world type of argument. This would largely be a ceremonial bill, but it, it, it almost feels like both of these two would be kind of consolation prizes if for some reason they're not able to find anything legally to pin on Donald Trump. And there will be people on the left and even some moderate Democrats that are trying so hard, their hatred for Donald Trump is so strong that they just, I I have to find him guilty of something. And isn't it interesting for those of us in the body of Christ, we know that obviously the wages of sin is death and there's a penalty to be paid for sin. Uh, God looks at our sin Uh, and does not find it pleasing, but loves us so much that when he sought to reestablish relationship with him, he said, okay, well, here's how we do it. You know, I'm sending my son. He'll pay the penalty for your sin on the cross. Anyone who believes that that is true and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Savior and Lord and that his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave 
it pays the penalty for your sin and my sin, you'll be saved. Full stop. And that's a beautiful thing. It's interesting to see people apart from Christ looking to the law and saying, well, my world's not right unless somebody pays for this. And I think that desire to see satisfaction, if you will, justification for that sin, that's a God-given desire. The question is, where are we aiming our weapon with regard to that? So we'll put this up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can take a look at it again. What we're seeing is a lot of ceremonial, what do they call, saber, uh, saber, saber rattling. That's, you know, where two uh, swordsmen have their sabers, their, their weapons, their swords, and they're hitting the blade back and forth, but they're not really fighting. You know, you're going to see a lot of that during a presidential year because people are running for re-election. The whole House of Representatives is up for re-election and a third of the Senate's up for re-election and they're, they're paying very close attention to that. Hey, let's take a quick break. And as we continue, we're going to open up the phones. I'd love to get your take on this. 800-227-5278. Um, we know that uh, uh, Donald Trump keeps threatening <laughs> to have a presidential run in 2024. And now that we are at the midterms, we are halfway through the Biden and Harris administration. And I don't think that there are a lot of people on the Democrat side of the equation who thought that, A, Joe Biden would be so unpopular, uh, which is ironic because he's basically doing everything that they want him to do. But B, that Kamala Harris would be such a lousy um, pick to replace him. You know, ordinarily you'd say, oh, my goodness, poor President Biden. He has COVID. And we all know that at age 79, if you get COVID, then your days are numbered. So we better invoke the 25th Amendment right away. Right. Right. And then that way uh, we won't have to worry. We'll have President Harris. And oh, look at us. We're making history again with the first female president of mixed race, et cetera, et cetera. And look at how woke we are. Just one problem. I think. Kamala Harris is probably less popular than Joe Biden. And as we've said many times before on this program, the Democrat bench isn't very deep because they didn't put Tulsi Gabbard in this spot. So a new poll has been conducted. It was at Turning Point USA. They had a conference last week. It's the Student Action Summit. I had a couple of uh, uh, young people who I know in my world who were there and were giving me updates from, uh, uh, from the convention itself. And they do their infamous straw poll, asking the question, if these candidates were on the ballot, whom would you vote for? And quite frankly, I, I don't think we should be surprised that it was students. But here are the list of people. If Mike Pence were running for president, if Nikki Haley were running for president, Ted Cruz, Mike Pompeo, uh, Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, or... Donald Trump, if they're on the ballot, if Donald Trump announces that he is, in fact, running, and these were the choices for president, for whom would you vote? 19% of respondents said Ron DeSantis. 1% of respondents said Kristi Noem. 75% of respondents said Donald Trump. Let me correct that. 79% said Donald Trump. So here's the question for us to discuss today. If Donald Trump runs in 2024 and he is hinting very strongly that he will run, would you vote for him? Would you not vote for him? And why? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I wouldn't run away from Donald Trump and a Trump candidacy, knowing who he might be running with might have some kind of impact on it. But Turning Point USA had a student action conference last week. And these are college students, young adults. These are the people who follow Charlie Kirk and you know stuff like that. And they had a straw poll. They put a number of candidates on a uh, proposed ballot, as it were. And if the, the, I mentioned some of the names, the names I mentioned were the only ones who actually got votes in the straw poll. In, in the past, the straw poll has indicated that the support for Donald Trump would be around 50% if he decided to run in 2024. Remember, you're only allowed, you're termed out as president of the United States after two terms. And typically what we've had is two-term presidents. Uh, Ronald Reagan, two-term president. Bill Clinton, two-term president. Uh, George, HW, or George W. Bush, two-term. His dad only got one. And then, of course, Barack Obama, two terms. Uh, Donald Trump only got one. And for a lot of people, they didn't think he'd get any, in all honesty. But he did get a term. And then as far as getting the second term, well, that remains to be seen. And one day when the roll is called up yonder, we'll find out how many people actually voted versus how many people had votes cast in their name and how many ballots, you know, didn't get turned in. I, I, I have a feeling that the 2020 election actually was the most participated one in American voting history. But something tells me that if Joe Biden was able to snake down 81 million votes. Donald Trump was able to get more than 74 million. That's just my hunch. And since the ballots were mailed to everybody and every ballot that came to someone's home technically became a live ballot, as opposed to the voting guides that would go out, but you'd have to actually go to the polls and vote. I have a feeling that there's a reason why we had more votes cast. And also the reason why uh, we had uh, this whole uh, issue of was the election rigged or whatever? What do you think, though? If Donald Trump were does announce he's running for president, would you vote for him? Would you not vote for him? 800-227-5278. Let's start in Redondo Beach. Talk to Michael. Michael, welcome to the bottom line. Hi, Roger. Thank you for taking the call today. Sure. What, My answer what do you think of the, the first question point? is absolutely yeah. I would vote uh, again for uh, Donald Trump. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we all know he's a, a personality, uh, but <laughs> I think we need to, as, as conservatives, we can get beyond that. And I'd, I'd question you um, in that you said you wouldn't vote for him a third time. And would that mean that you would vote for the Democratic nominee? No, absolutely not. I mean, I can't see anyone on the Democrat side that ha- supports that platform. I don't. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Michael. I don't understand why the 35 percent of registered Democrats who are pro-life are still Democrats. I mean, that that party has become so anti-everything; it's just terrible. My point for Donald Trump is running and me saying I don't want to vote for him again is I just want him to step away. I mean, he's energized the crowd. He's really done a tremendous job of of getting a lot of people to think in terms of you know issues that are important for the biblical worldview. Um, I think it's time for somebody else to step up, and I think there are other leaders who could step up and kind of take the mantle uh, of what Donald Trump started with his 2016 campaign and continued in 2020. But uh, nonetheless, I appreciate your call. We're coming up on a hard break here. We're going to say goodbye to our listeners at KCBC who are going off to listen to Rabbi Schneider and discovering the Jewish Jesus. But the phone lines are still open, and we'll continue this conversation on the other side of this break. If Donald Trump says he's running in 2024, 
uh, Turning Point USA survey says 79% of the people who survey said, if he's on the ballot, I'm voting for him. What say you? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Wow, wow. Well, it's obvious, at least when it comes to young adults, that Donald Trump still has a stranglehold on the Republican Party. The question is, what would you do? Uh, and Michael, we had a nice little exchange there. I'm sorry I had to truncate because of the uh, hard break there, uh, saying goodbye to our KCBC audience on the live portion of what we're doing. But today here on The Bottom Line, we're t- it's Super Tuesday. Uh, we're taking a look at a poll that was, uh, it's the straw poll from Turning Point USA's student action event. And Turning Point is the outstanding, uh, I think, political action group that has, uh, it was formed by Charlie Kirk, a college age guy who, to my knowledge, does not have a college degree or even a college education per se, but is very bright, very articulate. I line up with a good portion of what he says. There are some places where I think he's miserably wrong in certain areas, and that's okay. He could think I'm miserably wrong in certain areas too. But the idea that he had a lot of young high school grads, college students, things of that nature, gathering at the Turning Point USA Student Action event last week. They conducted a straw poll, you know, which is just, it's informal. It's kind of a show of hands or fill out the three by five card with the answer. And the question was, if Donald Trump did run, and that's in all caps and it's bolded, if Donald Trump did run on the 2024 presidential primary, would you vote for him or one of the other candidates that they listed on their, uh, their roster? And they have a Pretty good sized roster. Now, I mentioned earlier um, who got votes, and the poll only listed, as far as the, uh, the, the, the results, who got a vote or two or however many it was. And they gave the, result, uh, the results in percentages rather than raw votes. So we don't know how many people were voting. But Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis versus Kristi Noem, the governor of South Dakota, uh, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz, Senator from Texas, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina and U.S. ambassador to the U.N. And she did a spectacular job in the first two years of President Trump's administration. Uh, She got votes. And then Mike Pence did, too. And, you know, I I will take up for Mike Pence all day, every day. Um, When it comes to dealing with a a personality as strong and polarizing as Donald Trump's, um, having a guy like Mike Pence there, it's a miracle he didn't resign. Um, I... (laughs) I can only imagine what it was like to where I, I got to know some people in the White House during those four years. And again, I think more overall, Donald Trump did more good than harm as president. Hands down, no question. Way better than I would have imagined. I voted for him in 2016 because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, I believe, would have turned us into Europe West. And it just would not have been good. I, I don't not to say that I would ever not support a woman running for president. Of course I would. I mean, what, what clear thinking, rational person would, would care. Oh, I'm voting for you because you're a girl. I'm voting for you because you're a boy. I mean, that's, come on. How, how Neanderthal is that thinking? Right. But you know, when it, the choice was Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, he was like, why not? I mean, what, what is there to lose? We know how much the losses are going to be with Hillary Clinton and they will probably only be worse with Donald Trump. Who knows? Blind squirrel might find an acorn. And look at what he did. Look at the appointments he made to cabinet positions. Look at the Supreme Court justices that he chose. A plus, A plus, A plus. All of them doing their job. I know there are people who are on the left right now who are saying, are you kidding me? We, we lost fundamental rights for women because of Donald Trump. And no, no, we got, we got back 
closer to the Constitution of the United States. We got less judicial activism with the appointments that Donald Trump made. And, you know, I, I was talking to a, a very well-known ministry leader, has a radio program that airs on all of our bottom line show affiliates. Uh, right after the election, he knew people in the White House and he said, you know, going into 2016, I thought, OK, well, this is we're headed. This guy has a connection to other parts of the world and he's seen governments rise and fall. They said, you know, if 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 Hillary wins, it looks like the U.S. would then be on the fast track to no longer being an entity. If Trump wins, it'll be because God said, I'm going to give you four more years, but you'll know it's me doing all the good stuff. And you don't get I, 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 I can get with that. I really honestly can. I think the good things that Donald Trump did as president during his four years, far exceedingly abundantly, far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. So to Michael's question earlier, why would I just categorically say there's no way I'd vote for Donald Trump in 2024? I'll qualify that two ways. First of all, we don't know who's going to be running yet. And ask me again in two years if we're having this conversation on July 26th, 2024, and we've just had the conventions and it turns out Donald Trump got the GOP nomination, then you have to recalibrate. You have to re, you know, take a look at who's going to be on the docket. No question about that. Especially if it would be Donald Trump and like Nikki Haley. Now that, ooh, that could be very interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. But on the other hand, and I'd love to get your take on this, 800-227-5278, would you vote for Donald Trump again if he, I mean, this US uh, Turning Point USA poll says that 79% of young conservatives would vote for Donald Trump like that if he were on the ballot today. Um, Ron DeSantis got 19%. Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, got 1%. Ron DeSantis, the governor of uh, uh, Florida, who's done some great things in his state with regard to constitutional law, family values. He quotes Ephesians 6 often. Uh, he has a nickname on the internet. They call him Ron DeSavage because he stands up for truth and the Constitution and biblical values. He got 19% with a Turning Point USA crowd. So the young adult vote, which is huge, by the way. Millennials and Generation Z are the largest voting block in America right now. So we can say all we want, well, <laughs> But the reality is, if they all turn out in mass at the presidential election in 2024, they're going to choose our next president. And this is what they say. So Ron DeSantis, 19%. Christy Nome, 1%. Mike Pompeo, 0.5%. Ted Cruz, 0.3%. Nikki Haley, 0.3%. And Mike Pence, 0.3%. Now, a vote for Donald Trump on today would be a vote to kind of go back to where he's been. But I, I want to encourage for those who would say, wait, he did a lot of great things. He, you know, like Michael called earlier and said, I've, I'd vote for Trump in a heartbeat, you know, I mean, because would you vote for the Democrat? You know, who are you going to vote? I'm certainly not going to throw my vote away. But I want to ask you, and I ask you this sincerely, taking into consideration the one year of the campaign from 2015 to 2016, where Donald Trump, you know, was a pretty savage guy in terms of going after everyone, bringing out the worst, and especially guys like Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. Then taking a look at the four years he was in office and the good things he did, moving the U.S. Embassy to uh, Jerusalem, uh, the, the Middle East strategies that Donald Trump did in terms of foreign relations, military interventions, et cetera, were spot on. 
absolutely undoing the misdeeds of previous administrations. Religious liberty was at the top of his game, no question. But then came the actual election of 2020. Then came the debates. And now Donald Trump, the attack dog challenger, was Donald Trump, the incumbent, trying to fight off Joe Biden. And he started to turn a little savage. Donald Trump, who didn't really have a chance in the polls, as we were being told, up until six weeks before the election. And then Kellyanne Conway came out of nowhere and saved his campaign. Didn't have a Kellyanne Conway coming out of nowhere to save his campaign. Because of the pandemic, people all had their ballots early and they started voting early. As a matter of fact, many Americans had already cast their ballot for president before the first debate. And it took President Trump three debates. There was the first one where I think he performed very poorly. The second one, I think, was shut down by COVID. And the third one, he actually had a good debate. But by then, it was too late. The damage had been done as far as the public persona. But then came the election results and the 450 different law changes and the rigging that had been going on for the four years prior led to a kind of result that Donald Trump didn't really want. And so how did Donald Trump handle himself? And that becomes the question that a lot of Americans will have to ask and answer. Because the last 60 days of Donald Trump's presidency were an embarrassment. Hands down. The whining, the complaining, the meddling, the legal challenges that had no standing, the desperation. I mean, if you want to talk about the great things that Donald Trump did in the White House, take a look at the horrible things he did in the Georgia runoff. I mean, the balance of power in the Senate hung on whether or not the GOP could win one of the two seats that were up in the runoff. And President Trump inserted himself into that election to the point where many conservatives stayed home because he told them the election was going to be crooked. And he told them the election wasn't going to be fair. And he told them that he had been uh, rigged and had the election stolen out from under him. And now we have a Democrat majority in the Senate that could bode very badly for parent and family values. Republicans appear to be poised to retake the House of Representatives on November 8th, 2022. That just means that Joe Biden runs into stalemates for two more years. But look at the legislation that has been passed and steamrolled through. How many times Kamala Harris has cast the deciding tie-breaking vote because of a split decision that didn't need to be there, but could very easily have been avoided if Donald Trump would have kept his mouth shut. Well, I'm doing all the talking. I want to hear from you. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. It's Super Tuesday today here on The Bottom Line and Turning Point USA, giving us what I believe is a tangible first look. This is where our voting electorate is going on the conservative side. Look at whether or not Donald Trump would be a formidable candidate for president. Almost 80% of the young people attending these Turning Point USA Uh, student action convention last week said, if Donald Trump's name is on the ballot, I'm voting for him. Do you agree with them? 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. 
You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, and hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. Uh, It's interesting to see who might be running for president uh, last Saturday. President Trump was speaking at the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit. Um, It's interesting because uh, looking at a report from uh, Fox News, they said uh, on Saturday, uh, Donald Trump said he won the 2016 election and then falsely claimed he won the 2020 election. And he said, now we might just have to do it again. He said, if I stayed home, if I announced that I was not going to run for office, the persecution of Donald Trump would stop immediately. But that's what they want me to do. And you know what? There's no chance I'm going to do this. It's interesting because to see uh, the way even Fox News Channel, which had been very, very uh, supportive, I guess, of conservative causes, even to see them interjecting, you know, the pay you lost, go home, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, It's certainly not a question of being tired of. But, you know, Michael brought up the point earlier when he called in and said, well, would you vote for the Democrat candidate? According to the survey, they also asked, who do you think or whom do you think would be the most difficult for a Republican to beat? Not just Donald Trump, but anybody who gets the nomination. There's a good chance. I think Mike Pence will have to face the music at some point. He's too strongly attached, number one, to Donald Trump, and that might leave a bad taste in other people's mouth. Number two, uh, it really depends on the mood of the country. Do they want someone who has a little more dynamic personality? And Mike Pence does not have a dynamic personality at all. He seems like a really great guy, strong character, um, not dynamic personality. And in an internet era where young people have the numbers, if they show up, this is what our constitutional republic is looking at. So here's the list. I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the question that was raised, well, if you didn't vote for Donald Trump, would you then support the Democrat candidate if Donald Trump were up for election? And I said, no, cognitive dissonance. I don't have to vote Democrat just because I don't like the Republican nominee. I then have to figure out, as many other people would have to figure out, whether or not you would support Donald Trump. You know, I, I know a lot of my uh, fellow pundits on, uh, I remember uh, Dennis Prager and I shared a, a cab. Back. For those of you who write a lot to the bottom line show and say, I love listening to Dennis Prager in the morning on a syndicated show and I listen to you in the afternoon. You're kind of a Christian Dennis Prager. Please know how much I appreciate that. That's such a thoughtful thing to say. Um, Dennis and I had never actually met until the National Religious Broadcasters Convention this uh, past March, and uh, we bumped into each other uh, just in a, a hallway at, uh, in Nashville. And then, as the Lord would have it, providentially, we wound up, uh, I was getting a ride to the airport uh, on my way home, and I was standing in front waiting for it. It was a, the car that they have that is part of the Opryland. And uh, it was a big car, like a Yukon or a Chevy 
you know, Cadillac Escalade, something like big thing, lots of space. And I felt kind of silly being the only one riding in it. So I, the driver asked me, do you mind if we wait for another ride or two? And I said, sure. I, no, I, I don't mind. That's fine. And who comes ambling out of the hotel but Dennis Prager? So we uh, we shared the cab and we were talking. He was working on his flight and trying to get home in time for uh, Sabbath, you know, which is a, a important thing to him. And I was reminded of the times during the 2016 election when I would listen to him talk about how he didn't think Donald Trump would be a good president, didn't think he was the right candidate until he got the nomination. And then he said, well, now that it's between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, who do you pick? Right now, we're thinking hypothetically, we're not talking necessarily about Republican versus Democrat and who you would actually choose. And again, I say I'm proudly non-party. I have no party preference, but I almost always wind up voting Republican because their values line up more with mine. So here's the question that people would ask then. Well, if Donald Trump gets a nomination, um, does he have a chance at winning? 80% said they think he does. But regardless of who gets the nomination, who would be the most difficult person for a Republican candidate to beat? And what's interesting about this is we talk often on this program about who the bench is, you know, who's coming off the bench. I mentioned some names there. Ted Cruz has been around for a while. I don't think Ted Cruz is ever going to be president. I would really love to see Ted Cruz on the Supreme Court. I think he'd be wonderful there. I think Mike Pence is done. I don't know that Mike Pompeo is presidential material though he might be vice presidential material. I don't know enough about Christy Nome. Quite frankly, you know, when you're governing a state that only has six or 700,000 people, um, how does that appeal spread all across the country? Look what happened with Sarah Palin. Of course, then again, when you're a senator from a state like Delaware and you keep getting elected and elected and elected and eventually become vice president for eight years and then president. So, I mean, I'm talking about our current president right now. I don't know that, I mean, I like Ron DeSantis. I honestly think that if, the election were held today and Ron DeSantis was on the ballot that he would get a lot of votes. But who do you think would be the most formidable foe for a Republican candidate? I told you that I don't think the Democrat bench is very strong, and here's the bench. <laughs> you ready? 30% of the attendees at Turning Point said that California Governor Gavin Newsom would be the most difficult for a Republican to beat. Okay. I, I could see that personality wise. I could see enough Democrats would say he's our guy, but then listen to the rest of this list. Okay. Former first lady, Michelle Obama, 10%. Former secretary of state, Hillary Clinton, 10%. 99 year old Bernie Sanders, 8%. 6% said New York representative, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and 8% said the current vice president of the United States. And for our KLDC audience, Jared Polis got 0.3%, in case you're wondering. In other words, it looks like it's pretty much the Republicans to lose in 2024 if they pick the right candidate. The question is, who's the right candidate? Who do you think? Is it Donald Trump? Is it somebody else? 800-227-5278. Back to the phones now. Ron in Fontana. Hey, Ron, welcome to the bottom line. Well, thank you so much. This is my first time calling in. And I just want to say, uh, I hate to hear you saying bad things about Donald Trump because, first of all, nobody in four years of office ever accomplished as much as he did. And he had people sniping at his heels, twice tried to impeach him. 
and made up lies that the public was still to this day believing the lies that Hillary Clinton put out there. I do want you to know one thing. This country's in trouble because mm -hmm. they're anti-God, anti-family, anti-Constitution. And that's what you need in a leader. And Donald Trump has all of those traits. And I just, Ron DeSantis is a wonderful person. And mm -hmm. um, our Secretary of State, uh, we've had some wonderful Republicans, but the time for this country is sincere right now. If we don't elect a man that will stand up, he's not a politician. Ron DeSantos is a politician. Donald Trump's the man to lead us out of the mess that Joe Biden has put us in. All right. Well, Ron, I appreciate your call, and thank you for, for weighing in on our poll here. I think that's uh, your points are very well taken. Um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about a guy like Donald Trump. I mean, there's, there's two things that people are looking at, and I, I want to dig deeper on this on the other side of this break in terms of why people vote for certain people just as my own personal experience but also what you see in the public opinion polls too uh we've got one more segment we'll take a few more of your calls 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 if donald trump were on the ballot today would you vote for him for president 80 percent of young conservatives at the turning point usa conference say that they would and so far, 100% of the people calling the bottom line show said that they would, too. The host says he would not. But let me share my caveat with you as to why not on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. Turning Point USA poll. This is Charlie Kirk's group. They had a young student uh, activism summit last week. Uh, Ron DeSantis spoke. Donald Trump spoke. A lot of uh, GOP leaders spoke. And quite frankly, I like the GOP lineup of speakers and leaders. They're fantastic. The question arose, though, after the straw poll was taken, a straw poll of these college-age students that said, if Donald Trump decided to run, would you vote for him? And 79.7% said yes. 19% said they'd vote for Ron DeSantis. And quite frankly, if I'm Donald Trump, I'm looking at Ron DeSantis saying, we got to work something out here. Because if Trump gets on the, the, the ballot again, if he decides that he wants to run, uh, he could do worse than picking Ron DeSantis as his running mate. And uh, that would be a very, very interesting uh, situation. Well, anyway, what do you think? I say, you know, Donald Trump, it's time to take a back seat, let somebody else have the lead. Uh, but I want to get your opinion on this. 800-227-5278. Donald Trump's name was on the ballot again. Would you vote for him? Uh, let's go to Forrest in San Diego. Forrest, welcome to the bottom line. Oh, how you doing? Hey, yes. Um, so you were, people were characterizing Donald Trump as a sore loser. He didn't want to accept the, the election results. It was, a, right. it was him versus the country. But um, there was this characterization. There were a lot of people here in California and other places who were rooting for him because he's exposing the fraud that's been around for a long time, especially in California where illegal aliens are able to get uh, the licenses. All they have to do is check one box on the computer when they get their renewal, and suddenly they get a ballot. Millions of people in California are on, ballot, uh, on places of uh, voting rolls they sh they sh where they shouldn't be. And, and if they're Democrat, they're, they're, you know, or, or they're, they're, they're very likely they're what's being harvested. So he was exposing what we all knew was going on in a lot of places. How many races across the California, how many thousands of races across California um, were stolen or, or went to the wrong person because of, of uh, illegal activity and because of uh, false uh, ballot harvesting that shouldn't have been? If things had been totally fair, how many Republicans more would have been would elected in the right races all over the country, including mayor and school board and, and, and governor and other places? He was fighting for all of us. 
in something that, that we care about in every election, election integrity, which we all care about deeply. And, if, and it would, unless he had raised it, they would have been able to cover it up and no one would have known. It's only because he made such a big deal of it. We've all, we've all now become aware of all the ways the tricks the Democrats have pulled and tried to pull. I just said my information about the 2000 election. They had a similar thing going on prepared in the 2000 election. It just didn't work for them. So they had to realize how they could be more sophisticated and have it all computer-based so they could do it without, without getting caught. Well, first, I, that's a lot of info. Thank you so much for sharing. I want to try to decipher that in the last couple of minutes here as to what you're talking about, the election integrity issue, the different names on voter rolls. And I've, I've heard from many people who are working behind the scenes to clean up the voter rolls. In L.A. County, I think we dumped about a million names that were uh, erroneous. Tom Fitton and his group at Judicial Watch are doing a fantastic job of of getting these names you know, off the, the ballots, you know, in terms of having extra names. It's a recipe for disaster. The House Democrats with their House Resolution 20 from 2019, it's called H.R. 1. It's here's our agenda for the first year. Uh, after the 2018 midterms, the Democrats took back the House. One of the first things they wanted to do was make election voting permanently mail in. They're working hard to take away the state's rights to make this all federalized so that they can, if, as long as we got a majority, that we'll, we'll just keep winning elections. And that's completely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Um, the question, I want to just kind of boil it down to one point here, because I realize popularity-wise, Donald Trump strikes a nerve with a lot of people. You know, and quite frankly, I liked the fact that when he was in office, he did stand up for the little guy, for the for the the, the, the people who were, uh, you know, felt kind of marginalized and whatever. There were a lot of great things that he did do. There were a lot of things he could have done that he didn't. Um, there were a lot of things. I think overall, I, like I said, I, he he won a whole lot more than he lost. If you were using a biblical analogy, it would be we, exceedingly abundantly, far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. The way he finished up in those last two months, though, I think he gave back a lot of that credibility in terms of how to handle something like that. And it came across as a temper tantrum. Now, say what you want about what he got done versus what he didn't get done. The reality is he was horribly unsuccessful at actually moving the needle toward what we were going to find out is going to happen. His team could have been better prepared for the election, and they weren't. So you win well, you lose well. Donald Trump's still living rent-free in the heads of many American voters, and that's probably a good thing. That's the bottom line.